morning. Good to be with you. I'm reading John 22 through 42. And at the time of the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter. And Jesus walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them internal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them from me. Excuse me. No one will snatch them from, out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, It is not written in your law, I said, You are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken. Do you not say of him whom the Father concentrated and sent into the world? You are blaspheming him, because I said, I am the Son of God. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even through you, do not believe me. Be believe the works, that you may know and understand that. The Father is in me, and I am the Father, in the Father. And again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing. At first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about the man was true. And many believed in him there. God, Heavenly Father, we truly thank you for gathering us here today. And now, Lord, be with Aaron as he brings us the message. And may we open our ears and our heart and be blessed by what he has to say. Thank you in Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Phil. Good morning, church. Uh, one item of note that is in the bulletin is we are going to be having our business meeting two Sundays from today uh, after our service. So we will welcome in some new members. We will release some members like the Waldens who have moved to Maine or West Brown that moved back up to Georgia, Vermont. Uh, we'll also be um, approving the budget that the finance team and the elders have spent some time on and 
presenting to you. If you uh, want to grab a copy of that, that's on the back table. Before you leave, I will also email that out to members uh, later today or tomorrow. Um, a couple items of note that we have had, uh, again, last year was our uh, best giving year, but our giving has increased again. So praise God and thank you for your generosity. Our giving's gone up about 10 or 15%. Well, the fiscal year is not done yet. Um, the finance team consists of Matt Young, Loretta Labounty, and Sue Lewis. Um, they've put some effort into helping us to organize ourselves in some more, uh, I call them strategic ways or simple ways. Uh, in order to make it simple for you as the church to understand where our money is going and what's coming in. Uh, so you'll see some changes in some of the categories. We tried to make it as clear as to where those changes were. Uh, so you'll see that. Uh, and then there's also some uh, of the extra expenses that we decided to give ourselves to this year, like the gift that we sent to the Waldens, uh, as well as uh, the cost that it was to transfer this building from um, East Randolph to Cornerstone. And then finally, at the end, at uh, the bottom of the budget, you'll see some proposed uh, things that the elders and the finance team thought would be good for us to use some of our surplus money that we have for next year. Uh, one of that is to set a significant chunk of money aside for some capital improvements. Uh, eventually, we're going to need a roof. Uh, eventually, we're going to need things like a boiler. So we have some money in the bank we want to set aside uh, about $100,000 for that for those times when we might need it. Uh, and then as well, we want to uh, give to the East Randolph Counseling Ministry that they're starting. Uh, and then we're looking at some uh, improvements to the building and then also some special projects of uh, maybe being a little bit more outward focused, uh, improving this facility, uh, as well as maybe looking at staffing or looking at ways in which we can be involved here locally in ministry. If you want to be a part of any of those teams, can you please talk to me or one of the elders? Uh, we'd love to have some ideas and get together uh, a group of folks that are passionate about this, who want to be involved in this, to help the elders to execute this. Uh, and it'd be fun to spend some time over the summer to brainstorm and cast some vision and see what God might do uh, so that we could present some of those details at our fall family gathering. So if you want to be involved in that, please come talk to me. We'd love to have as many of our members involved in those discussions as we can uh, and see what God does. So again, thank you for your generosity. We'll have more email, uh, details that will go out in an email this week. Um, but let's get to our text in John 10. Sound like a plan? So maybe like myself, you've considered uh, over the last few months, few weeks, uh, how you spend some of your time or maybe some of your resources. You might be rethinking that extra trip to Burlington or Lebanon like other people. But as Cal recently uh, reminded me, winter is coming. Uh, I think in nine days, 
the days start getting shorter. So thanks, Cal, for the reminder. Uh, this past week, I had a guy that came by the house. Uh, I was getting ready to leave to take Mackenzie to practice, and he wanted to chat with me. He's not part of our church, and I was literally getting in the car to head out, and he wanted to have uh, a conversation with me. And so I caught myself with this guy and having thoughts of he's wasting my time. He's not here. Um, I need to get on to the things that I had planned for. And as I'm studying for the sermon this week, I was convicted. I'm the voice of the shepherd to this guy who just happened to come to my house that day. And we saw last week that the sheep, they hear the shepherd's voice and they follow. And this morning, the Jews, they feel like Jesus is wasting their time. But friends, Jesus doesn't feel like you're a waste of his time and Jesus is not a waste of your time. That's our big idea this morning. And so would you pray with me before we jump back into the text? Father, we thank you that you are so gracious and loving and patient and merciful to us. When we sin, when we falter, when we stumble, when we are confused, God, you still come to us. You still listen to us. You still speak to us. And so, God, I pray that you would speak through my mouth, that I would be the voice of the Good Shepherd this morning, and that your sheep would hear, your sheep would follow, your sheep would believe and love you, including me. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look again at verses 22 to 24. This is the setting of our time this morning in the text. It says, At the time the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So we're at, we find ourselves in the Gospel of John at another festival. And like you, I didn't ever remember hearing about the festival of dedication. I've heard about the Passover. I've heard about the Feast of Booze that we saw a few weeks ago. This isn't a festival of biblical measure or a biblical festival by any measure, rather. About 200 years prior to the time of Jesus, the people who ruled over Jerusalem were not the Greeks. They weren't the Romans. They were the Seleucids. And their leader, Antiochus Epiphanes, severely persecuted the Jews, even putting a statue of Zeus in the temple for the people of Israel to worship. Maccabeus rose. Judas Maccabeus by name, he rose to lead the people and fight back. You might have heard about the Maccabean revolt. And after he defeated the uh, Seleucid Empire, the temple was rededicated, the Feast of Dedication. Tradition says that when the temple was rededicated, there was only one jar of oil left that would last for one day, and that jar of oil was used, and it lasted for eight days. You might know the Feast of Dedication as Hanukkah. So our setting this morning is during this festival in Jerusalem at the temple, and it's winter, and while many commentators says it's cold, the weather in Israel is similar to the weather in California. Jesus was still walking outside. So it's not that cold in the temple. Jesus is walking around in the colonnade of this great King Solomon during the festival that celebrates the conquering of rulers and oppressors over Israel in a miraculous event. 
And so these Jews, they find themselves thinking, is now the time for him to finally rule or is he wasting our time still? Are you the one we're waiting for? You don't, why don't you just tell us if you are the Christ? Why do you keep us in suspense, Jesus? The disciples, they've already concluded in John chapter 6 that Jesus is the Christ. And the Jews wanted to know, will you be the conquering king that we are waiting for? They weren't looking for more mere clarity or understanding. They just wanted Jesus to openly confess so they could do one of two things. They could justify putting him up on the throne or they could severely persecute him like they will and justify their attacks. One commentator says this. He says, they're asking the simple question, how long do you intend to annoy us or provoke us? And so that's the table that is set for us this morning in our chapter. Are you the promised one to deliver us? Are you provoking us or wasting our time? And first we see that he is the Messiah and that he and the Father are one in their work. Will you look with me at verse 25? Jesus answered them, I told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So I and the Father are one. John, we have seen many times, he has declared for us that Jesus is the Christ in the gospel. John 1, 49, Nathanael proclaimed, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. 4:26. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well, I am he. 8:28. he told the authorities, the son of man, I am he. 8:25. he identifies himself as Yahweh. Before Abraham was, I am. And last week, or a couple weeks ago, Jesus said to the man born blind, you have seen him, the son of man, and it is he who is speaking to you. It's clear to us as readers that Jesus is the Christ, but these folks, they are completely blind. He explains further, don't worry about my name. He says, look at what I do, because the father does likewise, like father, like son. The seven signs that Jesus has done throughout John, in addition to the words that we have heard and he has testified about himself, show us that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He turned water into wine. He healed the official son. He made the paralytic by the pool walk. He fed the 5,000. He walked on water. He healed the man born blind. Next week, we'll see his greatest miracle towards a man. He will raise Lazarus from the dead, the seventh and final sign that we see in the Gospel of John. He has declared who he is. He has shown us who he is. Why are they so challenged in their understanding and believing? I think verse 26 answers that question. Jesus says, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. This is the reason why they feel like Jesus is wasting their time. It's plain as day to us as readers. They don't believe because they're not sheep, because they, hasn't been, they haven't been granted belief by him to believe. Born in sin, their eyes are still closed to the clear evidence before them. They don't want to believe. 
And Jesus has not, has not said a word yet in this gospel about belief, or I'm sorry, in this chapter of the gospel about belief. Yet the sheep, the true sheep, the sheep who hear the call of the shepherd, who hear the, war, the words from the shepherd, the good news about the shepherd, his sacrifice on their behalf, they believe. He's not talking about information that has been gathered, but believing information that comes from illumination by the power of the Holy Spirit. John 3 showed us that only those who are born again by the shepherd, excuse me, John 3 showed us that only those who are born again by the shepherd are the ones who believe. John 6 says that salvation is a work of God. And in verse 27 and 28, he talks about himself, but he also talks about the sheep and both of the roles that each play in belief. Let's talk about the sheep first. The sheep, they hear the voice of the shepherd. The sheep follow the shepherd. Because the sheep follow the shepherd, Jesus says that they never perish. And so as sheep, we hear, we act upon, and we believe the facts and we receive eternal life, an abundant life that we talked about last week. Don't waste your time with Jesus. But Jesus has a role in this too. He talks about his role as the shepherd. The shepherd know the sheep, not just information about them, but he intimately knows us as his sheep. He gives the sheep eternal life. And then he says he holds fast to the sheep. He knows us. He gives eternal life. And he holds on to us tightly. Eternal life, by definition, can never be taken away from us. Jesus' sheep belong to him forever. You aren't a waste of Jesus' time either. If you believe, you're worth it to him. And you often hear debates in churches and among Christians. Well, does God save me or do I respond to him? The answer is yes. Sheep hear, sheep follow, sheep receive eternal life. But what we see Jesus is he, he knows us in our sin, in our ugliness, in our desperation, and he gives us eternal life. We can't provide that for ourselves. And so take note. Jesus holds us fast and he secures us to the end. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. Speaking of Jesus, he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. It's not like the cattle fence where they run fast enough, they go right through it. Or that jar of food that you tried to preserve in the fall, you open it up in the winter and it is not so fresh. Or that string that is holding down my hoop house and I run it over with the mower and the wind comes and it just blows it away. When Jesus says he holds us fast, friends, he holds us fast. It's effective, like we talked about last week, where he calls us and we respond to him. It never fails. And so when we trust in Jesus, he's not a waste of your time. And praise God for that grace. We will fail, but friends, he will never fail. We aren't a waste of his time. The Father plays a role in this too. We see in verse 29 that the Father and the Son, they are one in their working. 
where the father gives the sheep to the son and no one snatches them from the father either. Where the son guarantees our salvation, as Ephesians says, the spirit guarantees our salvation. And here Jesus says that the father guarantees our salvation. Friend, you are secure as sheep if you believe. And so the question is, are you a sheep? Psalm 23 started with the words, the Lord is my shepherd. John 10 shows us Jesus is the good shepherd where the father and the son are one. They are one and they're working as the good shepherd. And verse 30 continues to show us more and more details of the Trinity. We saw back in our early chapters in John and I said we would get more and more details as we progress through this gospel and here we have some now. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is one God. As one theologian tried to succinctly say, he says this, Though the technical language of historic Trinitarianism is not found, or is found in the Bible, or sorry, the technical language is not found in the Bible, Trinitarian faith is present throughout the biblical text. The Trinity must be acknowledged as biblical doctrine, an eternal truth about God, which though not explicit in the Old Testament is plain and clear in the New Testament. We can be honest. It is better, it's easier said than understood of how the Trinity functions. It's complex where you have co-eternal, co-equal uh, co beings, not as three roles as one by one person or three gods in maybe a cluster, but they're all Father, Son, and Spirit, God. Fully and completely God for all eternity. Yet there is one God. They're not identical persons, but they are manifested at times separately, but of the same essence, and they work together. But their unity indicates more than just a unity of purpose, it's a unity of their nature. And in response to the question, are you the Christ? So as to stop wasting time, Jesus makes it clear that the Son and the Father are one and they're working. The building blocks of the theology of the Trinity are here before us again. But that doesn't end the debate. They have more questions. And Jesus elaborates further. Not only are he and the Father one in their working, but they're one in their nature. And because of that, he is not a waste of our time. And we aren't a waste of his either. Look at verse 31. In response, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not a good, sorry, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. These Jews, they're starting to get it. They're starting to understand, but they aren't believing because they're not sheep. They understand Jesus' claims that he is God, but they don't believe it. And so, naturally, they want to kill him. They want to stone him. It's the only appropriate response in their minds. I love Jesus' sarcastic response, though. <coughs> Excuse me. Based on their intentions. Well, why would you stone me? I've shown you my works. I have shown you that my works and my father's works are the same. So you want to stone me because of that? My shared nature between he and the father, he says. Jesus hasn't tried to lay out an elaborate argument 
It's simple. He just says, I'm God. He's uncreated. He's the word of God. He took on flesh. He's the word of God who has always been with God, always been God, as we saw in John chapter 1. The created beings that are talking to him, the ones that he created, the ones who he gave breath to say words, the one that he gave a tongue to say words, are the ones who are arguing about who he is. The ones whom he created are the ones who want to kill him. Those are the ones who are arguing with him, the thinking that he is wasting their time. Tell us you're the Christ they continue to want to understand so that they can respond. Well, he's the one with the Father in his working and he's one with the Father in his nature. And his patience in showing this and continuing to talk to him is showing them and us that they aren't a waste of his time. He doesn't deny that he's God, and finally we'll see that Jesus and the Father are one in their judgment, because eventually time will run out. Look with me at verse 34. Jesus answered them, It is not written in your law, is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into this world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Keep verse 39 for our next section. This was hard. When Jesus, what is Jesus talking about here? When I was reading this, I'm like, what is he talking about? And I needed some help. He calls them gods with a lowercase g. And this is a quote from Psalm 82, 6. I'll read verse 7 as well. It gives us a little bit more context. God's word says, I said, you are gods, son of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Where man is not God. The world believes that oftentimes, but the Bible does not teach that. God's word to men says that you are gods, like, but like men, you will die. Again, Jesus, I think, is being a little sarcastic here. And here's what one commentary said. In the Old Covenant, human judges could be called gods because they were viewed as acting in God's place. And so what these inquisitors are doing is they're judging Jesus. Jesus said he's the one, he is one with the Father in his work. He is one with the Father in his nature and they are offended that he called himself God. But they should be examining his credentials which prove that the Father sent him to the world. Jesus takes them to the Bible because scripture cannot be broken ever. It has to come true, it will come true. It will never and never will tell a lie. And this is a strong statement of Jesus from the Bible. But the whole argument comes from one small word, God with a little lowercase g, from a minor psalm by some guy named Asaph. Your gods with a little g, which is true in the sense of judging. But everything else is true, which gives you proper judgment. But it also shows that he is the final judge. 
Jesus could have referenced Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Guys, that's me. Or he could have talked about Psalm 22, where at the cross it shows that Jesus would be abandoned and forsaken by the Father on his, at his crucifixion. He could have said, that was me. He could have quoted the most quoted psalm in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, Psalm 110, where it says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. He could have said, that was me. But his main point is he was, in fact, the God-sent one. And if Scripture could apply such a profound theological term to created beings, how much more could such a term be applied to the unique Son of God himself? which he calls himself in verse 36. Judge rightly, so Jesus isn't a waste of your time. They judged him without truly understanding. He isn't the ruling Messiah they wanted because he won't rule and reign and kick out these Romans that they were so much longing for. They had an idea of who they wanted the Messiah to be, but for them, it wasn't Jesus. They have judged Jesus to his face. You aren't God. And so... They want to put him to death. Jesus' point is this. If Israel can in some sense be called God, how much more is this designation appropriate for him who truly is the Son of God? And Jesus' words from back in chapter 7 continue to run through a theme of the last few chapters. John 7 verse 24 says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And friends, right judgment is based on the scriptures. Right judgment is not based on who we want God to be. Every single word of scripture is completely true and reliable. And scripture is true. And verse 37 says, the test and see if Jesus isn't doing the works of God. If he doesn't, don't believe. Jesus and the Father are one and they're working. And verse 38 shows us that we don't need to believe based on his words alone, but we believe based on his actions as well. And this is Jesus' last stop before he makes his way to Jerusalem one final time. Jesus says he will die and rise. Those are words, but those are also actions. If his words don't eventually line up with his actions, then he's not the Messiah. But his words are true. And verse 38 says, Believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And this proves true as we know on Easter. He rises because Jesus does what he says he's going to do. And he always does. And that's why we gather today. Our neighbors, our family, they're probably outside in the garden leveraging the time that they have right now to get things done before winter comes. But we gather today as God's people because we believe the word of God. We believe the works of God. We know the Father sent the Son. The Son came to die in our place on the cross for our sins. He rise, rose to give us a newness of life, a life that we would never attain otherwise, a life that can never be taken away from us. But if Jesus didn't rise, we'd be wasting our time. And Jesus concludes with one final word about he and the Father. We can't skip it. He says that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Colossians, Paul says this, that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. With the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they're distinct persons. Again, more Trinitarian language, but they're distinguished respectively. The Father indwells the Son, the Son indwells the Spirit, the Spirit indwells the Father, and you could reverse the order of all of those pairs. 
What this means is first, that all three persons of the Trinity are fully in one another, and second, all three persons of the Trinity possess the divine essence. The Father is not the Son, the Spirit is not the, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father. It's complicated stuff. As the Church Father Augustine says, each are in each, all in each, each and all, all are one. Like I said earlier, the challenge to understand God's work and our work in our salvation is just as difficult when we're trying to understand this Trinitarian theology. It's hard to grasp, and it's okay to admit it's challenging for our finite minds to understand. But we have to rely on careful wording and definitions rather than analogies. Analogies will fail us every time. We're like, God is like an egg, where he's the shell, the white stuff, whatever it's called, and the yolk. Or he's like water, and he's in three different forms of gas and liquid and solid. Those will always fail us. So please be careful with coming up with analogies to understand the Trinity. I needed a bunch of help this week, as you can see. One author says, only by affirming the mutual indwelling of each other in each other can we worship our truly, our triune God as truly three, but also as truly one. The Jews in 10 chapters don't understand this. They're blind because they're not sheep. They have hard hearts. But as we continue to read through this gospel, we be faced with more challenging things that are hard for us to understand. But what we can remember is that the Father and the Son are one in their work, they are one in their nature, and they are one in their judgment. And we can rest on that. We are not a waste of His time, and He is not a waste of our time. And remember our initial setting. Jesus in the temple at Hanukkah in the colonnade of this great king of Israel. They didn't get the king that they were wanting Jesus to be. And we pick back up in verse 39, and I think we see an ironic twist. Look with me as we finish up the chapter, please. He says again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. The Jews have their answer. Jesus is not their God. He's a waste of their time. So they seek to kill him. But as we've seen over and over in, God's, or in John's gospel, it's not yet his hour. He goes away from the temple. He goes away from the hustle and bustle of the festival. He doesn't walk around. He remains in the Jordan area. He leaves the area of Jerusalem. I think he's leaving to go find the sheep that are not of his fold yet. The sheep that will hear his words, who will hear the voice of the good shepherd, who will follow, and as we see, believe. He said earlier that those Jews that were talking to him at the temple were not his sheep. And so he ends up at the Jordan. Disciples of John know Jesus is true because everything that John said about him eventually is coming true. But Jesus goes out for his sheep. Jesus acts on behalf of his sheep because they're not a waste of his time. The lost sheep are lost for a reason. 
And Jesus goes to them because they are lost. Friends, he comes to us because we aren't a waste of his time. We continue to see the outward focus of Jesus, the outward focus of this gospel, the call for us to be outward focused as his people, as the voice of the shepherd ourselves, because those who are his sheep will follow the voice of the shepherd, even if it comes through our mouths. Jesus is not just the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He came in the flesh to die and to rise and to give many believers eternal life. The Jews wanted Jesus to openly confess that he is the Christ, the Messiah, so they could attack him. And he did. And they still wanted to attack him. But eventually, and John says, many come to him who hear the voice of the shepherd and confess that he is true and believe in him. And so as we head out, maybe you think that Jesus is a waste of your time. Maybe you think that Jesus thinks of you as a waste of his time. But neither of those is true. Let me encourage you. If you think that Jesus is a waste of your time, he's the Messiah, so there's nothing better for you to do than to believe in him, to confess and receive the eternal, abundant life that he promises and that he provides. We can worship like Nathaniel, or worship like the man born blind did and repent of our sin. We can turn away from our sin because it's an abundant life that lasts forever in believing and trusting in Jesus. Maybe the struggle is real where I, I read my Bible and I just don't feel transformed. Or I'm part of this church, but I still feel lonely. I see Jesus provides for my needs, but I still have a lot of needs. I hear that Jesus is good, but I keep on suffering. I want to be rid of this sin myself, but I just can't shake it. Maybe you just want to give up. Can I encourage you? Please don't. Trust the Messiah. He was promised and he came. And even when we were dead, unloving, unlovely, unholy, we were his enemies, you weren't a waste of his time. His word is true and we can trust that he, what he started, he will bring it to completion. His sheep can never be taken away from his hands. And this life is hard, but we can trust to the end. Even in the midst of today's struggles and the church is meant to come alongside one another where we get to help each other to continue to follow Jesus, where we get to do this together because Jesus isn't a waste of your time and it's not a waste of your effort and that's just as true as you aren't a waste of his time either. They both go together. We'll see the end of this gospel that Jesus is the resurrected king he is the king that the Jews wanted, but they were blind to see. They just didn't know that they wanted him. Even when we doubt, even when we sin, even when we fail, Jesus' actions, his nature, and his right judgment, that the Bible testifies that Jesus is the Messiah. And that even in our struggles, even when we aren't following, we stumble and we fail, we aren't a waste of Jesus' time. He continues to pursue us. He continues to remind us in his word that we can continue and should continue to follow him. And he gives us the grace to follow him because Jesus isn't a waste of our time. You see how these two things go together? And so that's why we worship. We worship the Father, we worship the Son, and we worship the Spirit, God.
So let's pray as we invite the music team to come back up and we worship now. Father, we we thank you that we are not a waste of your time, that you humbled yourself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross for folks like us who wanted nothing of you. We didn't want to follow you. We didn't want to worship you. We didn't want to believe, but you still pursued us. You pursued us with the truths in your word. We, you pursued us and through the prayers of your faithful saints that have come before us. We, you pursued us through your voice in your word or through your people to the point where we came to the end of ourselves to believe and trust and follow and love you as our Lord and Savior and the Messiah that the Jews were questioning. But God, we acknowledge that this life is hard, that sometimes we, we desire to see more fruit than we have. God, we thank you that you are not a waste of our time and that, that which you start, you will bring to completion because your sheep can never be taken from your hands. Your sheep who you'll never cast out, as your son said. And so God, as we balance the truths in your word of our role and your world, role in our salvation as who you are, one God, three persons, God, there's a lot that we don't understand. There's a lot that we struggle to comprehend. And so, God, we ask that you would help us to believe even in the midst of our doubts and our finite minds. And now we ask that you would help us to worship you because only you deserve worship for you are God and God alone. So, God, we pray that you would be glorified in the rest of our time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you sing with us again as we continue our worship? Um.